the creation will be set free from all that is enslaving it to corruption since God subjected it to futility. So what will pass away? Futility will pass away. Corruption will pass away. Floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and mosquitoes. Or they will be changed. So how might our lives be different if we set our minds on our glorious future on the new earth? John Piper turns to Romans 8, 18 to 25 to answer that question on this episode of Light and Truth. This sermon was originally preached at Bethlehem Baptist Church on August 8, 1993. It makes a difference what you believe about what happens when you die. It really makes a difference. If you know what's going to happen to you when you die and you know that it's good, you will be freed from fear and you will be overflowing with hope and you will have a strong expectation and anticipation. And when you are freed from fear and when you have a strong anticipation and hope for the future, you live differently. You live very differently. You don't yield to the sinful pleasures of the moment when you have that kind of hope. You're not suckered in by advertising that says he who has most toys at the end wins. You're never suckered in by that kind of bumper sticker. You don't devote the best energies of your life to accumulating treasures on earth. You don't devote the best dreaming of your mind to relationships or accomplishments which perish. You don't fret over what this life hasn't given you. Marriage, wealth, health. Instead, if you know what's coming after death, If you believe it with all your heart, what I've been preaching in these days, you will stand in wonder and revel in the thought that the God who owns the universe and loves you is pursuing you with goodness and mercy, has destined you for glory, has worked for you and will work for you and bring you all the way through to an infinite happiness forever and ever and ever you will begin to live to meet the needs of others because God is living to meet your needs and you don't have to. It's a glorious thing to know that God is working to meet your needs so that you don't have to be so self-preoccupied. You'll start to love your enemies and do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you because... You're not enslaved to the pleasures of revenge. You don't need it. You don't need those temporary, stupid, shallow, suicidal pleasures of having the last word. You don't need it. You or God will have the last word. He who laughs last will laugh forever. You don't need to take revenge into your hands. 
It's relevant. It is really, really relevant. Now, before I look at Romans 8, I want to go back to Revelation 21, if you want to look there with me, and to 2 Peter 3, if you want to look there with me as well. I want to show you the answer of John, the answer of Peter, then the answer of Paul, and create a problem, or I don't think it's created, recognize a problem, at least tell you about a problem I have when I read these texts, and then let Paul, I think, provide the solution to the problem. So I'm going to start answering the question at Revelation 21.1, which says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. That's going to be the problem. And there is no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Coming down, not going up, coming down. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the tent of God is among men and he shall dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. This is a beautiful picture to me, I hope it is to you, of the final state on the new earth. The people of God gathered God himself in the midst of them. No death, no pain, no tears. And best of all, the tent of the Lord in the middle of us, not far away any longer, out of sight, but present, visible, manifest in Jesus, walking among us as friend and father and king and judge and Lord and maker with no shame, no guilt, no fear of any servile kind. Now, the question that that picture raises is in verse 1. The first heaven and the first earth, that's where we live right now, passed away. Does that mean that the earth on which we now live is going to be obliterated, annihilated, out of existence, and a new creation started over called earth, earth number two. It's a question like the one when I posed the question about the body. Is the body just going to go out of existence and then God starts over by creating a new body for every soul? And I answered that question, no, we shall be raised this body and whenever you have a question that seems unanswerable that the bible says is true it's like jesus when the sadducees remember said they didn't believe in the resurrection and they thought they had him really stuck when they said now here's a woman who had seven husbands Uh, and she's going to be raised and they're going to be raised right you teach the resurrection okay guy Whose wife will she be? And you remember what Jesus answered? You err. Number one, not knowing the scriptures. And number two, 
not knowing the power of God. Now, he said more, but that's the answer to everyone who has a question about how can he raise all these bodies? Or, as we'll see today, how can he make the earth new? Before I give my answer to whether it's going to pass away and what that text means, let me make it a little harder by turning you to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 10, another picture of what's coming. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away, there it is again, with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. Here comes this relevance issue again. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, according to Peter, our hope, our great hope for the final state is a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, just like Revelation 21. And he, too, speaks of heavens passing away. Verse 10 And he goes further than that, and three times he says there's going to be destruction. Verse 10, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. Verse 11, these things are to be destroyed. Verse 12, the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. So I pose the question again. Is this world, this earth where we're standing right now going to be annihilated, obliterated, out of existence and start over? God going to start over and say, let there be another planet. Boom. My first response to that question is to say that the term passing away, the first heaven and the first earth will pass away, need not mean go out of existence. It may mean something as simple as that this present condition of the earth and the heavens will so radically be altered that it will pass away. We might say the caterpillar passes away and the butterfly emerges. Or we might say the tadpole passes away and the frog emerges. That's not as attractive. There is continuity between the caterpillar and the butterfly. The second thing I would want to say about this word destroyed in 2 Peter 3 is that it need not mean put out of existence. You might say thousands of farms were destroyed by the flood and you don't mean they went out of existence. Or you might say the environs of Mount St. Helens was destroyed. But anybody who goes there now will know that it wasn't put out of existence. It's coming back. And so Peter may mean this. And John, 
at the end of this age, at the very end, there may be such cataclysmic events so that there is a wiping out of all evil and a cleansing and a purifying fire, as it were, that sweeps over the whole earth and over the whole heavens and makes them brand new. It may mean that. It may mean that. Does it? Now I want to go with you to Romans 8, where I think the issue is settled. Romans 8 is a magnificent statement by the Apostle Paul of this creation and its destiny. There are four arguments in this text for why this world is not going to be annihilated. Why this earth on which we live will not be obliterated and put out of existence, but will in fact be renewed and restored after the cataclysmic events of judgments that Peter refers to in terms of heat and melting and fire. Number one, verses 19 and 20. The anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope. Now, verse 19 says that creation personified has longings. It, it has an eager expectation. Well, what's this earth eagerly expecting? To go out of existence? Doesn't seem to fit the language. This creation is eagerly waiting and expecting something. What? To be canceled out? Boom, you're gone. That doesn't seem to fit verse 19. And it doesn't fit verse 20 at all, because verse 20 says the condition of this world and why it is standing on tiptoe awaiting the revelation of the children of God is because when God subjected it to futility at the fall, Genesis 3, 2 and 3, when he subjected it to futility and bondage to decay, he did it with a view to hope. Oh, those two words at the end of verse 20 are so important. The devil is not in view here. The devil subjects nobody in hope. God subjects the earth in hope. It's the hope that is built in, as it were, to the corruption and the decay of this world. This world's groaning is the groaning of hope. So my argument number one is that that little phrase, in hope, and that tiptoe expectation of creation is not for annihilation or obliteration. Number two, argument number two, verse 21. The creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It could not be said plainer in all the Bible. This is not annihilation. This is liberation. Restoration. I'll read it again. The creation will be set free from all that is enslaving it to corruption since God subjected it to futility. So what will pass away? Futility will pass away. Corruption will pass away. 
floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and mosquitoes. Or they will be changed. I really believe that. In fact, I'll read you a text at the end that virtually proves mosquitoes will be changed. There will be fire. There will be judgment. It will be radical. It will be cataclysmic, but it will not be annihilating. It will not be obliterating. Number three, verse 22. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Now, what that verse says is that all the the groanings, the upheavals of creation, all the flooding of these last months, that is labor pain. That's what the text says. The upheavals of creation are not death throes. They are labor pains. What's the point of that? What's the point of of using the analogy of labor pains for the upheavals of the corruption of this fallen world? Because something new is coming out and the mother is not going to be killed. Jesus used the same imagery in Matthew 24, 7 and 8 when he said, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famines, earthquakes. These things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. Same thing. Paul learned it from Jesus. What's happening in the world whenever there are massive floodings, whenever there's a great monsoon, whenever there's an explosion and an earthquake is birth pangs. It's birth pangs because something new is coming out of this earth. It is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. He's not going to kill the mother. Finally, number four, verse 23. Not only this. That is, not only does creation groan and have labor pains, not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, in other words, Christians, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. Now, the reason that is so important is to link up with the message two weeks ago. Your body is part of creation. The same as this pulpit and these flowers. Your body is of that kind of stuff. Therefore, the doctrine of the resurrection of the body and the doctrine of the renewal of this kind of stuff must go together. That's the point of this text. Not only does creation groan and wait and have labor pains to have something new brought forth that's not corrupt and in futility anymore, but we groan because we expect this thing to come out and live there on that planet. There's a unity to the resurrection of the body and the restoration of creation. So my conclusion now from Romans 8, is that our final habitation 
for all eternity will be on a new earth, which will be this earth made new. Matthew 19, 28, Jesus says, the regeneration will come when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. Regeneration is what he calls it. The world will be born again. Acts 3.21, Peter says, The times of restoration of all things will come, which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. And what did the prophets say? Here comes the mosquito. Isaiah 11, verse 6. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play on the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When history is over, really over as we now know it, God will be the center. And the knowledge of the Lord will be like a sea. I wonder if this has something to do with Revelation 21.1 where it says the sea will be no more. Just suggest you to think about it. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be like a sea reflecting back to the Lord the knowledge of his glory and his glory will shine so brightly as to make a moon out of the sun, which, according to Revelation, we need no more for light. And so it'll just be a moon in all of its stunning brightness off in the sky of this new heavens and new earth. And just as the rejection of this knowledge brought a curse down upon this world, and all of its natural expressions, so will the acceptance and the reflection back to God of this true knowledge result in the lifting of the curse so that even the way the animals eat will reflect the glory of the Lord and His centrality in our affections and in the lives of the animals will not be compromised by any violence anywhere anymore at all. This is Light and Truth, God-centered preaching to help you see Christ clearly and treasure Him truly. I'm your host, Dan Kruver. Thank you for listening. On our next episode, John Piper begins a three-part series titled, God Became Man. I hope you'll join us. For more resources, visit DesiringGod.org.